right, folks, welcome back to the Headlight Podcast. Uh, really excited here. We have a special guest for you today. Uh, before we get started, I did want to just thank uh, and call out uh, Nonprofit Studio for providing us our own really, really awesome studio space to use today. Um, if you don't know about them, uh, please go to nonprofit.foundation to find out more about them. Uh, they are a tremendous organization helping uh, all nonprofits here with their technology needs. Uh, so please go check them out. So we have with us, uh, very privileged to have um, uh, the CEO of IAR, of Islamic Association of Raleigh, uh, Daniel Khan. Uh, Daniel Khan is, uh, has a master's in, uh, uh, in social work and uh, comes to us, uh, his previous role was at ICNA Relief, serving as National Director of Muslim Family Services. Uh, thank you and welcome, uh, Danielle. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, all right. So uh, let's get kicked off. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, we've had um, a lot of things happen in the last year, year and a half, but we're excited to, uh, to have you guys back and wanted to kick it off with uh, sort of a, a really, really good guest here. So. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about uh, what kind of work you do. What is what does it mean to be CEO of IAR? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out myself, honestly. I um, I work in the nonprofit sector. I've been working in the nonprofit sector professionally uh, for about five years now, but I've been engaged in uh, community work for about a decade. Alhamdulillah. Um, uh, my previous role was a lot different than what I do now. I used to work in a social services organization in Relief. Um, that was mainly my passion to serve underprivileged folks um, through like systematic services that are you know like based on research and evidence. Um, alhamdulillah, I joined IAR about well actually yesterday marks three months. Wow! Yeah, yesterday marks three months. Um, I um, uh, basically as a CEO for a masjid, my job is to one you know. Make sure the operations are running smoothly, but the more important and fun part is, you know, really just taking the message to the next level, right? Look at uh, what is our what is our strategy for growing our impact, and you know, just having a long term, long lasting footprint in the Raleigh area, inshallah. So that's that's my job, alhamdulillah, and I love it. Well, that's great. I think um, the Islamic Association of Raleigh is, is blessed to have uh, somebody that's working on those items because they are they are really really important. Um, so sounds like you've done nonprofit work for a while. You've you've sort of uh, decided to make that uh, your career, which is a huge thing. I know a lot of people think about that, uh, but don't have the guts uh, <laughs> or the patience or the tolerance to kind of go ahead and pursue that mission. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Like what it, what inspired you to do that work, and how did you kind of get started down that path? Yeah, sure. So I um, I've traveled a lot throughout my life and. Uh, I lived overseas for about eight years, eight to ten years. Um, I came back to New Jersey in 2010 and, um, you know, dealt with a lot of uh, the realities of life overseas. Um, But one of the shocking things that I experienced when I came here was that there were people over here that were also struggling with things that I struggled with over there. And the difference was that it was hidden, right? Like in the Muslim community. I remember the local masjid that I went to had no idea of the atrocities that, you know, unfortunately some families were facing there. And we didn't have 
what what was worse was we didn't have the institution to address them, right? So there were people sleeping in their cars, families of like four and five that you know were struggling financially, domestic violence issues, suicide, right? But in the larger community, uh, or like uh, if you look at it on a larger scale, the community would only hear, oh, you know,、um, the kid died from a car accident,、mm. right? It's a、uh, I, I don't believe we have that many、um, <laughs> bad drivers、um, in our community. It's、uh, just it's just the easy way to like you know hide the fact that you you know someone may have overdosed or someone may have you know committed suicide,、um, and there's a lot of shame there. There's like you know we don't really talk about these things. So、um, my my drive was more so to create like safe spaces initially in the in our communities. And create systems to really address these needs because I was going through them myself as an individual, as a family. So, so fam- t- tell us. I mean,、yeah. you, you talked about like being overseas、mm-hmm. and experiencing、um, challenges overseas,、mm-hmm. and then coming back and seeing those same challenges.、Mm-hmm. Tell us. Give us a, a window into kind of the life of Danielle and like yeah,、sure. what, what did you see, what did you experience that、yeah. um, you know you saw reflected here when you came back. Yeah, so I、um, I come from a household of six kids. I was the oldest.、Um, I am the oldest, and、uh, my mom is a single mother, and uh, you know uh, she was、uh, divorced twice, and、um, you know we were overseas with my dad.、Um, he was a Low class, low income,、um, hardworking man over there.、Um, lived in a very、uh, rundown area in Pakistan, more rundown than the average places.、Um, and、uh, and for those of you that haven't maybe visited or gotten a chance to visit Pakistan, that generally means worse than anywhere you would see in the U.S. Am I, am I right yeah, in saying absolutely, that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we were, I was there for about、uh, two and a half years with my dad. And then you know、uh, my family, like we all regrouped kind of with my mom, and we moved to Bangladesh where we lived in like village. Like I'm talking, when I'm saying village, I'm talking village. Like adults not having clothes on, mud houses,、um, no、uh, running water, obviously. Run, no running.、Uh, we had like、uh, wells, right? So like, like manual. Yeah, wells, manual wells outside.、Down. Yep, yep. We showered、wow. like that. Yep. So, but. In、hot water? Hole, no hot water. Yeah, no hot water. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> so I know, like you, you went through that obviously, but like、uh, it, it blowing my mind. And、yeah. I've been to Pakistan. Yeah. So <laughs> this is Bangladesh, and Bangladesh in Pakistan we had hot water at least. In Bangladesh, when we were in the village area, we had, we yeah, no hot water.、Um, we were actually the we lived in the only house in the whole like area, right? So my my stepfather, who was married to my mom at the time. Uh, knew the owner of the house, and you know he kind of just like.、Uh, this is a very harsh way of putting it, but it's the reality. He just dumped us there <laughs> for about six months until he、yeah. could figure out his plans、uh, of what to do with us long term. <laughs> and <laughs> but here's the thing, though: we were kids, right? So for us, that was an adventure, right? Like, you right. know, we saw snakes come into our house. We saw frogs and all these animals, right? Like, I learned how to slaughter animals at a very young age. Um, like I, I'm talking about, like nine years old. Not no, no. Sorry, sorry. I wasn't. I was around eleven. I was eleven at that time. Yeah. And、um, so, so sort、yeah. of old enough to like experience and enjoy,、mm-hmm. but、um, not old enough to like get what that means、yeah. contextually, right? Yeah. It just was normal to you. Yeah, it was normal. Like I didn't really think that I was going through something too difficult, right? Because one, everyone else around you is going through worse, right? So when I was. We we lived in the only house there. We had electricity when electricity was there,、mm-hmm. and、um, you know we had hot water when hot water was there,、um, and we had walls, right? We had like other pl- places. They had、um, like the imam of that masjid. His house was literally、um, bamboo sticks 
and metal sheets, right? Like steel sheets that were wired together with like um, one live wire that was connected to a light bulb and one live wire that was connected to a fan, right? And he lived right next to me. So um, I feel like growing up here yeah. in America, the only sort of context we have that looks like that is like movies. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't even imagine. Like even even when when I visited Pakistan, at least, yeah. it's always been an actual house that yeah. has lights wired yeah. and stuff like that. So it's really hard to like imagine even. Yeah, that. and it's like you know, like you you kind of just are thrown into that. So you don't really you had like two choices right at that age or at like at any age is like you either choose to, you know wither away um or you choose to adapt and alhamdulillah you know my mom did a really good job um uh, really buffering or like you know um taking the brunt of all the experiences and filtering it out to a more adventurous welcoming and exciting experience for us so we were we were in the village for about six months then we moved to the city and um in the city i went to a madrasa that was like a um it was a hostel madrasa so it was like a hostel meaning like you stay there so um you you live there and whatever and yeah um <laughs> if there's any way i can exp explain this madrasa it was like it's literally prison like so what that means is like i i i, <laughs> I don't mean so disclaimer when i say this i'm not bashing on islamic institutions and madrasas i think there's some really beautiful ones out there i just had you know the unfortunate circumstance or situation where i di i did not uh, attend one of the good ones i just happened to attend a bad one but it was literally like two steel doors that were locked from inside and outside with uh, with like actual locks, heavy duty locks. One of them, we had two teachers, one of them that would go home at night, the other one that would sleep there. All of our windows were barred and made out of steel sheets. And we had about 40 men, not kids, men that stayed there. Um, and, you know, we had it was like a gang like culture there. It was we were in the foreign wing. So we had people from all over the world right we had people from china indonesia philippine um uh, different countries from africa you know different countries from russia we had kyrgyzstan tajikistan like people like i know that a lot of people look up to khabib right i've met people that literally act and talk like this man right and look <laughs> like this man right um and you know like and for those of you who don't know this is khabib the um undisputed i think it's lightweight ufc yeah, champion yeah. right and who retired recently yeah yeah and, um, you know, I've, I've met people from neighboring areas, not from his particular area, but neighboring areas from the mountains, um, you know, who are very rugged and, you know, like, they're literally like machines. They're just much less so well built as people and they have that mental fortitude. So there's so many. So we, we were blessed and fortunate enough to, you know, have that diverse experience. And I never really hung out with people my age. Like my friends were people who were 35, 45 when I was, I think I was 11 or 12 around this time, right? So, um, but then it also came with its challenges, right? There was a lot of like abuse there, um, a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of, a lot of unfortunate things that the younger folks experienced there, right? If you were a young student, you just unfortunately were victim to a lot of these things and no one really listened to you, right? Like no one really, one, no one believed you. And, you know, if people did, they would just find a way to hush you up. So. My brother and I, we we survived in that world for about four years, and um, alhamdulillah, you know, like the, my family situation was a little different then, and my mom had to make a tough call, you know, she she made the call to um, uh, split with, from my stepfather um, and move to New Jersey with absolutely nothing in her hand, right? So uh, we moved to New Jersey in 2010, 
I'm probably around like 15 at this point. And, you know, like I, I'm eight years of eight or eight to 10 years of like no education. Right. So like I, I'm a 15 year old who doesn't know how to multiply or divide. I barely know anything about history, barely know anything about science. The only thing I know is like Hadith and stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm being thrown into a different world, right? It was a huge culture hit, you know, like I'm, I'm now in a place where I have to forget about, you know, look a girl, you know, at her face because I was in an environment where that wasn't even okay. Mm-hmm. I had to like converse with them and, you know, like it was like a different species altogether. I was like, what is this foreign thing that's in front of me? <laughs> so I had, and this is one of many examples of how it hit me. Um, and um, subhanAllah, like my story got out, like a, 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 some uh, some pieces of it, not the full thing. Um, and um, uh, next thing I know, I have all these sisters that privately reached out to me, um, so shocked that a guy can go through stuff like sexual abuse and stuff like that. And, you know, really opening about their struggles in the community and how they've been shushed up and stuff. Wow. And that was so shocking to me because these were like active members of the community, right? And um, you see them in the masjid and they're smiling and happy and having a great time, but they're not safe at home, you know? And I don't know what it is. It's something that like, you know, when I was growing up, friends uh, friends and peers my age that were going through similar things would just laugh about the same thing. We would all like joke around about it that damaged people would just attract each other. Like we would just, you know, seek each other out and find each other. Like I remember... Um, my first Ramadan at the masjid, you know, my story, uh, like my story wasn't even out at that time, but it was starting to like, you know, hints of it was coming out. Um, some, some people from the school that I went to, unfortunately just shared it with their, with their kids. And then next thing I know, it just went around the whole community. Um, but then there was this kid that I was hanging out with and, you know, like he's just talking to me and then he started opening up about it. You know, he was overseas too. He, he shared some of his his experiences overseas and his experiences here. And I was just like, man, shut up. Like, I went through the same thing, you know, wow. like, and he would, he started crying because he was like, you know, uh, like, Do I you was, think he was alone. Like, yeah, yeah. He thought he was alone. And yeah. he was like, you know, like the fact that I've met, he, forget about like, like, you know, he only was able to relate to girls because unfortunately, you know, like, this is a disproportionate thing that, you know, women deal with this a lot more than men. So, yeah, it's uh, stuff like this is, you know, like uh, we see a lot of that being, you know, highlighted nowadays with the different movements that are going on. But, you know, like uh, for most places, like, you know, a, a woman cannot be comfortable, right? Like when they're walking outside or, you know, even when they're in a community, right? Like an event, they always have to really look, you know, behind them and, I relate to that because that was my life too. Like, you know, even till today I have, you know, uh, I have nightmares of like, you know, me waking up in the madrasa and some of my abusers, like, you know, holding me down. So it's, um, and this, I'm, these are, this is 10 years later, right? So it's just like, and other people who I know have experienced this, they're, they're in the same situation. They have nightmares about it. You know, um, they, it affects your, it affects your entire life, your, your opinion of yourself, your relationships with your friend, family, partner what whatever right it just it just really affects you the good thing is is that once you identify it you can work on it and that's one thing i chose to do and that's really what stemmed my passion to do this work because i realized that no one was at the time no one was really publicly championing this and the people who were were not necessarily doing a really good job in the muslim uh the 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 muslim community 
So without even realizing it, it became my career. I actually wanted to be a, a, a doctor uh, because my mom wanted me to be a doctor. <laughs> what I really wanted to be was an sure, artist. That's an experience yeah. that a lot of a lot of young yep. uh, desi kids like you and I yeah. uh, can can uh, you know commensurate with. But yeah, I think for me, what's fascinating is like you you had this really mm-hmm. challenging experience, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you you know there there must have been something that happened that said, all right, well I want to go fix this. And most people will be like madrasa. Yeah. you know abuse i'm gonna run as yeah. far away from this as i possibly can oh yeah so so you know tell, walk me through that yeah what, I, what happened i i had my own you know like every day um, for the past 10 years has been a battle when it comes to these things like you know um i uh i had to really you know like it's 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 weird to say this i don't even know if it's like partial in islam i may be really honest here i feel like al just forced me to really face my demons like i didn't have a choice right like i i did try to run away like i'll be i'll be the first to admit that i there's many times i try to run away from my demons my past um the this kind of work um i'm i i deal with i have a bad anxiety problem or i used to have a very bad anxiety problem that you know i just i I couldn't public speak for my life i still can't but you know i've learned to really work i put a lot of work on it um but not because i wanted to Right? These are uncomfortable things, and I've lived a very long life of discomfort, and I did not want that to continue in the United States. I wanted to you know, just live my life, stay to myself, really not make a lot of friends. But whether I liked it or not, right? like Allah attracted people towards me who had issues, and you know, like I didn't have a choice but to help them, right? Like I can't explain it. Like once once some of these guys came to me, like I, I just something in me just told me I needed to do something for them. You know, so I would bring them to my home. We would chat about, we would chat, we would talk. I would get involved with their family situations. In certain certain situations, I like mediated, you know, between people who were like twice my age, um, just to like get them to see a perspective of their kids or their, you know, their younger siblings or whatnot. And I never, I never once claimed to be like, you know, someone who was professional in this and whatever. It just happened. Like I was just mm-hmm. like I was thrown into it, and you know. When other people got involved, I couldn't really run, right? When it was my issues, it was easier to run. But when it was other people's issues, I I knew I couldn't sleep at night if I just let them continue to battle their stuff. And I didn't at least try, right? I didn't have money or anything, but I at least had time. And I I had the ability to properly listen to someone and make them feel like they were were heard and that they belonged and that they mattered. So I, um, I used it to the best of my ability, not really thinking about making it a career ever. Like I said, I wanted to be a doctor and an artist, and I went into college planning to do that, but somehow it just, the voice, I guess the, the calling got louder, and it got louder, and it got louder. Louder meaning like I was invited to like speak at certain occasions when, you know, I had no professional background. Um, I had like I had like organizations reaching out to me, youth organizations, youth groups reaching out to me to mediate and deal with like issues related to a kid dealing with domestic violence or something like that. And at this time I had no professional credibility. It was just all word of mouth that, you know, this is someone who's went through it. You can ask for him for advice. And before I knew it, there were so many people who knew who I was and I had no idea who they were. And I never, like I said, I have a bad anxiety problem. So I never wanted that. If anything, it made me feel uncomfortable. It, it, it affected me a lot emotionally and mentally. But um, like I said earlier, Alasmata really, um, every time I tried to run away, he would throw me in more, right? Like, <laughs> like at Relief, for example, when I, when, I started in, when I started interning there, you know, 
I was actually interning there because um, my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, was working at the nonprofit a door over. So I wanted to be closer to her and. You know, I decided so no like no like good intentions at all right there. Right? Like it was just like you know to be close to someone I had a crush on. <laughs> but subhanallah, like you know, through, but through that, through that, yeah. you know, like it just became more. Right, next thing I know, right, fast forwarding, I'm doing my masters in uh, in social work to do uh, private practice as a therapist. Right, that was my goal. Decided, you know what, med school was not for me. Um, I have a certain skill set that I might as well learn to like you know um make money off of and um you know uh once i switched to what I, I i i i was never actually like i would i'm not a i'm not a book smart person but i had to work very hard i remember like i would be that that kid that would be in the library till like two o'clock at night to study for a biology exam that my friends would like you know clock out at eight o'clock and they would get a's and i would get like c's and i never compared myself to like um folks that did worse than me I always compared myself to people who did better so I tried so so hard during grad uh, during undergrad and alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah oh yeah I really skipped like this huge portion I uh, alhamdulillah my high school um, I graduated on time from high school I did a self a lot of self-learning through Khan Academy and you know my mom saved up saved up some money and did some tutoring for us um, and the teachers man the teachers from the Islamic school I went to they were not getting paid, but they would offer to spend extra time really to help me and, you know, teach me, um, you know, only out of the goodness of their heart, nothing else, because there was no gain, right? I was just one kid and I with no social influence, right? So they didn't genuinely did not benefit in any way. So, so, like, so, so in the span of just just to put that in context, right, yeah. you, you landed on the shores of New Jersey in 2010. Ten. Yeah, 2010. Yeah. And you, you graduated high school in 2013. 2013. I graduated high school in three years. Yeah. And when you landed in 2010, you, you were at what grade level would you say? Third grade, because that's the last education I ever experienced. And my siblings had a lot worse. Some of them didn't know how to read when they were supposed to be in sixth grade. So nine years of schooling yeah. in three years, right? Yeah. Just, just contextual. I mean, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I actually haven't think, thought of it that way. Yeah, that is that is absolutely true. I was a third grade level person um with like didn't know how to multiply or divide actually like i would say even second grade because i left before third grade ended um i i lived in texas and i went to school there um before i went overseas so i um yeah a lot of hustling a lot of late nights um and my drive was you know i just refused to I, I it, it was driven by anger in the beginning, but then eventually moved to hope, right? I I wanted to prove a lot of these folks who already had an opinion of me wrong, but then gradually... And, became, and your sto- sorry to interrupt, yeah. but your story got out Yeah, early. my story got out, yeah. And, like um, 2010, 2011? Yeah, 2010. As soon as I started school, my story yeah. got out. Yeah. So I went so to one... Intense as, pressure. Yeah, a lot of pressure. A lot of, you know, like people already started judging me. Like, you know, like he's... I had teachers that would, in my first... So I went to one school before I went to the second one that really helped me out. The first school was more of a privileged school. Um, couldn't really connect with people who went through things I went through. Majority, they see middle to upper class, you know, families. And I really loved that school. A lot of my friends that I still keep in touch with till today are from that school. But unfortunately, reality is that their their parents were the, the challenge that I faced. Not them. Wow. It was their parents because, you know, a lot of gossiping, unfortunately, it's a big thing in the community that we really need to, like, learn to deal with. But, you know, like, my information got out. and Like, basically know, parents saying, like, yeah. kids don't hang out with this guy. Yeah, not that, too. And also stuff like, you know, 
hey, you're, you should be lucky that you have what you have. You know that kid that's in your class? He doesn't have, you know, he's went through this, wow. this, this. So then these kids come up to me and they're like, hey, is this true? My mom told me this. And, you know, it just, it kept multiplying. Next thing I know, like almost everyone I knew, knew it. And it was really affecting like my life at that time. You know, like I, um, I'm a normal human being, you know, I had my uh, same pressures any high school would, high schooler would, you know, was trying to get into a relationship, was trying to, you know, be the popular kid, whatever. Um, and, you know, uh, the biggest barrier I would always face was, um, you know, your, your family life, your, who you are, right? Um. And um, that just really, that just, I got, I got sick and tired of that. I was like, you know, like, stop judging me before you even know me. You know, like, you right. don't know what I've been through. So um, it was almost like your story preceded you exactly. in every conversation. Like Absolutely. You, you weren't able to take ownership yep. of the, 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 the relationship or yep. the conversation because somebody already had preconceived sort of notions of, like, what this person is, yeah. who they are, etc. Yeah, and to give you, like, wow. a real example of how that impacted me, my first year at that school, like, I was there, I came in the middle of the year, so, you know, um, I only spent, like, two semesters, or two quarters of a year, um, I think high school, is, high school goes by quarters, so two, two quarters of a year um, bef- by the time I graduated, and I got all A's, and I was so shocked mm-hmm. that I got all A's, because, you know, they put me in seventh grade, and, um, you know, I, I was just like, uh, why am I in seventh grade? I should be in third grade. And yeah, I also had to keep in mind that um, I come from a, I came from a, a world where age really didn't matter. Right. Like my friends were 45. Mm-hmm. Right. My friends were three times my age, twice my age. Right. I didn't hang out with kids my age. So I related to my teachers more. I wanted to hang out with them. I considered them my friends. Right. Interesting. I, I, I considered I realized that. I really couldn't relate to folks my age at all or even folks that were five years older than me because, you know, for that matter, they, none of them experienced things I did, right? But pe- folks that were like 35, 45, right, while I was 15, 16, I could relate to them. I could relate to their issues, their challenges, their pressures, right? Because I was experiencing all that at the age of 15. So um, that's when I realized that, you know, this school is – this school – is only giving me good grades because they feel bad for me and i didn't need that i needed to learn so then my family um it was actually too expensive a school so we left and we went to a more cost of uh, more cheaper school but it attracted a certain crowd which was more low income and demographically it was majority like african-american and arab and um you know a lot of reverts and stuff people who were not really welcomed um elsewhere in the muslim community unfortunately um, and a so lot both, of, both Islamic schools, yeah, but just different. Just Islamic different, yeah. yeah. And um, I got bullied there. Mm-hmm. I got bullied there, and honestly, I didn't mind because I knew that people treated me how they felt like I deserved to be treated, right? Like, at the time. Um, I don't, I don't um, like, uh, when I'm talking about, uh, when I say that, I'm not talking about the bullying part. I'm talking about how the teachers interacted with me. I should have been more clear there. Um bullying is not a good thing at all and it should it needs to it needs to die but um uh at the time you know we didn't have these um these campaigns about anti-bullying it wasn't illegal to bully Mm -hmm. right so it was a normal thing you just got bullied if you were if you were weird right and i was definitely weird um but the teachers there were real with you oh absolutely right so these teachers they've experienced life a lot of these teachers did like my principal he didn't hold he didn't feel bad for me at all like he was like well, what are you going to do about it? Right. Right. And I knew that this guy, like, you know, he was, he was a, a chap, uh, a chaplain at a, at a jail, you know, and right. a lot, we had teachers that were, uh, worked in juvie. Mm-hmm. Right. So 
they were like drill sergeants, right? Like they acted like that. And, you know, I appreciated that because I needed that. I needed some. So your story didn't really shock them. Yeah. Well, you know, they didn't even know. Some of them didn't know. But the people who did know, they're like, so what? My kids went through the same thing. Right. You know, like divorce, like, like the only part that I think most of them knew was divorced. Got it. More than half the kids in that school lived in single family households. Yeah, yeah. Right? So you didn't have necessarily the stigma associated Absolutely with you that not. followed you everywhere you went. Absolutely not. You were I was able to be part of mm-hmm. the organization as opposed mm-hmm. to being an outsider. Absolutely. And you know, um, and that's where actually that's the place where the teachers really helped out a lot, right? And a lot of these teachers became, you know, close with my mom, close with me. Um, um, some of them I still keep in touch with till today are like my friends and mentors. Um, but they really helped me out. And there was like this expedited program that the principal created for a few students. And it was basically you can graduate with a, with a four-year diploma if you take extra classes, college-level credits, like because we didn't have AP, so you would have to go to college and take classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And your GP, your certain GPA had to be to a, your, your GPA had to be a certain level, your SAT score had to be a certain level, and you had to do you know all these other things. So you decided to go into this program. Yeah, I decided to do it, and you're, you're like coming in at a third-grade level, yeah, and then saying, you know what? Forget the four-year thing. Yeah. I'm going to do... Because wow. to me, I'm thinking... So when I started... When I went to this school, they placed me in ninth grade. So I'm now technically, academically, I'm one year behind in terms of my age, right? So I'm okay. I'm turning 16 in ninth grade. So I think average 15-year-olds are supposed to be in ninth grade. 15-year-olds uh, uh, are supposed to be in ninth grade. So I was one year behind only now. Um, and to me, I was like, how can I catch up? How can I graduate on time? And when I heard about this program, I really didn't even think about, oh my God... I have this huge gap of education. My thing, it, it, to me, it was like, this is a ray of hope. Yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I'm able to do this, I will graduate on time. I won't, be the, I, won't, yeah, I won't be the older kid anymore. Um, so I told my principal, and I knew my principal didn't think I would be able to do it. Like, he, was, he, was like, right. he was like, this is a program for the best of the best in the, pro, in the school. Right? Like, it's, like only <laughs> at, out of that program, before me, only two people were able to graduate from that program. One of them being the child of the principal. Right, who was very studious and mashallah, very hardworking. So I, I didn't let that bother me. I studied really hard, um, a lot of failures, a lot of late nights, a lot of you know, a lot of pain and pressure. Um, but subhanAllah, I did it. But the journey, it doesn't end there, right? Because now it's like, okay, now I need to get into college. And you know, I was applying to, uh, I applied to a local community college because I didn't think I was gonna get into a four-year college. Um, I just didn't think I had it in me to even like accept. I had a lowest self-esteem problem too, and I, I applied for the middle, uh, the uh, the local community college, Middlesex County College, and I never got the acceptance letter. Mm-hmm. So I thought that I didn't get in, and I I, oh, wow. I I had this huge defeat because, you know, unfortunately my confidence like took over too because at a certain extent time I was like, once I'm done with community college, I'm gonna go to Princeton. <laughs> like like I, it was just like this, that you know. Was your thing. Yeah, that was my thing. I was like, I can conquer the world when I. You just achieved this huge exactly, thing. Exactly right. So you were sitting on this. High yeah, so path. I was on. I had this high for like one month, yeah. and it just like went like, oh, I don't think I'll ever get into college. This is it. This is where my journey stops. I should probably consider going to madrasa again, right, oh, in the United States. Yeah. It's crazy how your psychology works. Yeah. Because, you know, you go to dark places yeah. sometimes. You see, you see something happen, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you're like, ah, it's the end of the world. Yep. Yeah. And I um. I, subhanAllah, I remember um, I visited uh, St. Peter's University. Um, uh, my mom took me there with uh, one of my cousins. 
And we went and uh, we spoke to the dean and the dean wrote a letter. It was literally the day before the last um, orientation. So we were like way past financial assistance time, wow. financial aid time. We were way past, you know, um, people, um, uh, what is the word I'm trying to go for? The en enrollment period. And the dean, she wrote a letter and she was like, just send this to all the different departments at the school. Congratulations, you got accepted to um, St. Peter's. And um, I was so shocked because I was like, what's so special about me? Why are you making this exception? Wow. And, you know, it just actually worked out because the university was switching from college to university. And that was a year. And, um, you know, there's certain status quo that they need to make in terms of like private schools. So, you know, since I happened to be in a private school, it really worked in my favor. But Allah works in mysterious ways, man. I if was I going to say, you talked earlier about yeah. God opening, yeah. you know, paths and yeah. forcing us down certain paths. You yeah. know, like, in I was hindsight, forced. everything mm -hmm. looks, you know, like mm -hmm. if you had not decided to mm -hmm. do the three years versus four years, mm -hmm. this wouldn't have been the window. Yeah. If you had gotten the acceptance letter from yeah. the community college, right? Like, yeah. in hindsight, everything was like, whoa, these Absolutely. are all these pieces fitting together. Because I took, like, college level classes in high school, and I remember crying every Every night while I was doing the homework because math even till today math is my weakest subject and as I've gotten older I realize it's most people's weakest subject so I don't feel that bad anymore when people say it, they're like same right but no no for me math was really really bad and and in the field I wanted to get to math is heavy so I remember I was taking like you know um, I was taking college level classes in math and psychology and I aced that psychology class you know my teacher she knew she was the only person who knew I was a high school student and there was this program called High School Scholars where, you know, they let uh, exceptional high school students take college-level credits for cheap or for free. And alhamdulillah, I was able to get in uh, because it was a new program and not a lot of people did it. So, you know, it worked out in my favor. So, you know, the requirements are not that high. And I was a high school scholar. I took two college-level classes to really help me in the um, for me to graduate early. And one of them was psychology. The other one was a math class. In the math class, I, I ended up getting a B. But I was destined to, I was really, I, I was expecting to get an F, right? Yeah. So I remember there were times I cried in front of the teacher. Like, I cannot understand this. I can't wrap my head around it. And the teacher was like, I don't understand how you can't understand this unless you don't know the basics. And that's when I realized, I'm like, I'm skipping yeah, yeah, yeah. four years of math. So then Khan Academy came in clutch around that time because I had to take like three right. lessons for the lesson to graduate, right? And alhamdulillah, I, I passed that class with a B, which to me was a failure at the time. Wow. I'm like, oh my God, why is this not an A? I need an A, right? Like, I, I just, I wasn't happy. I was never happy. People used to say that about me. It's like, why are you such a pessimist, right? <laughs> and like, even today, you'll hear that whenever we reach like accomplishments, people are like, you know, like, why aren't you happy? I was like, because I know we can do better, right? Like, that's just always been something about me. Um, and it's not a good thing, by the way. It's not a healthy thing to have because you need to you need to settle down and enjoy your accomplishments from time to time. At the time, though, I was very like hard-headed and stubborn. Um, I've mellowed down a lot more since then. <laughs> but uh, my psychology class, I ended up getting an A. And at the last class, you know, I was always that kid that would raise the hand, the, the obnoxious kid that would make the class stay like 15 minutes later because I'm always asking questions because I fell in love with that class. I never knew. Wow. I never knew that was going to become my field of work, though. So I, I just took a class because I needed to take an elective, and that was the elective that I chose. And then the teacher told everyone in the class that, you know, he's actually a high schooler. He's in 10th grade. And I was just, I was, I think I was, um, what, I was turning 17, I think, or turning 16? Yeah, turning 17. And they were all so shocked, and I was like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in high school. And uh, I'm the, you know, I graduated on time, went to college, 
Um, and in St. Peter's, I remember I took the placement exam and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to get into remedial courses because that's what people told me. If you don't do well, you're going to get into remedial courses. You're not going to get credits for it. But to me, I'm thinking, okay, that's good because now, so what if I graduate college a year late? I'm, I'm caught up. So yeah. now I'm just one year behind again, which is a lot better than being four or five years behind. Sure. And also at least if I take the remedial classes, I now will learn because at this point, I thought that everything that has happened is a miracle. Like I didn't earn that. So because there's no way. Amazing. I, yeah, like I was like the SAT. Like when I took the SAT, I didn't get a great score, but for my school, I got a pretty good score. Um, and to me, I'm thinking, oh, this is not me because I guessed these questions. So there's no way this is me. <laughs> you didn't realize that everybody else does the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? right? But, <laughs> but their, their 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 excuse isn't that they you know. Uh, started high school at a grade four level. Their yeah. excuse is they partied all through high school yep. and missed classes, <laughs> and you know. So, but but you know that's that's incredible, right? Yeah. Is is to have kind of that that perspective and that journey, and um, it it changes you. Right? Yeah, I, and I, I, I can imagine that that yeah. experience. So you got into college. Yes, yeah, so I got into college. The, the, I took the class. I took the exam, and I I remember I went to orientation, and I had my biology advisor. Uh, Miss Callahan, she ended up being one of my professors too. Um, and Miss Callahan, she comes to me and she's like, "Okay, so you're going to be taking um, calculus or statistics for life and sciences. You're going to be taking English, you know, one." And I'm like, I looked at my list because I created a pre-list um, of like remedial classes, and I was like, "One minute, um, they're not in my list." And they're like, so she looked at my list. She's like, "These are all remedial classes. You placed into regular math and regular English." <laughs> I'm like, "What?" Do you have the right test? Yeah, I was like, do you have the right person? And she looked at me, and she had glasses on, she took off her glasses, she's like, honey, in the first time in my entire career, I'm seeing a student not being happy for getting into regular classes. <laughs> she's like, I'm not going to put you, I'm not gonna demote you. Like, and I was just like, no, no, I just, I, I wanted to learn, you know? Like now, I, I had another reason to feel like, how did I get in, mm. right? So again, I'm at this point, I'm still not thinking that this is my work. This is all Allah, right? Again, like I'm like I'm not happy. I'm like oh, I should have been in remedial because I could learn now, you know. But now I'm not. Now I have to do extra work to catch up like with everyone else. That stress is just it's it's crippling at times. And um, I I and it did it hurt it hit me actually. My first semester I got a D in my statistics class, um, partially because Eid fell on midterm and I went for Eid not knowing that I needed to get an excused absence. And I found out the hard way and the teacher was not being nice enough. So I had an, I had an F. He's like, you can bring it up to a C if you do 100 and everything else. Wow. And me not believing in myself, I just dropped the class. Um, and that was a huge hit for me. And I was mm. thinking to myself, this is because I didn't go into remedial. Mm. But it really wasn't. It was because I missed the test. Sure. Um, but at that time, you know, being stubborn and all, I really did. That was my mindset. Like, oh, it's because, you know, I didn't get into remedial classes. Now I'm going to struggle with math. I'm going to be behind, whatever. And alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, that was the only time I got a grade that low. And it's it's been A and B since then. And uh, at a certain point, I realized, you know, I just had no love for um, being a doctor. Like, it just, like, nothing about it made me happy. So I switched to psychology and subhanAllah, like, you know, I just wanted to privately quickly do my psychology bachelor's and, you know, get into a master's program or something or a PhD program. But again, Allah SWT, like, you know, forced me into places that I just was not comfortable with. Like my professor came to me and she's like, you know, I noticed that you're very engaged in my class. Do you want to be my, do you want me, do you want to be my lab assistant? She's like, it's a limited position. It's very competitive, but 
you know, before I offer it to the public, I, I want you to take it. Wow. And I looked at her, I was like, me? <laughs> Just because I answer your questions? Like, you know, you want, she's like, yeah, no, I think there's something about you. I was like, okay but you know like i and i kind of explained to her i was like i'm not really that smart you know like like you know like she's like i don't need you to be smart <laughs> she's like <laughs> you know like I, I think i think you you get almost everyone goes through this yeah and i think you maybe went through it at a slightly earlier stage yeah. because because you were different yeah right uh you had a different background you were sort of entering in a different phase yeah um but i think for a lot of people sort of this imposter syndrome yeah. happens when they yeah. hit the workforce and yeah. they maybe you know or or even college where, yeah. where they they get in they didn't think that they should get in yeah, yeah. and now all of a sudden you're dealing so i think it's a very natural yeah. sort of uh, emotion to have yeah. when you're facing when you're facing these types yeah. of situations so and that's the, an incredible story and the thing is man like you know i wish that people told me that when i was in school because you know uh we're just not comfortable about our weaknesses. We don't really share it to people that we're struggling, whatever, right? Like now I can comfortably say that, you know, everyone is kind of figuring it out as they go, no matter how old you are, or how young you are. Um, but I wish that that's something that someone told me when I was that age, because I probably would have been a lot easier on myself. And, you know, I probably would have saved myself a lot of headache, right? But actually, I think at the same time, I'm thankful because I'm like, that drive is what I needed to really survive that environment. Alhamdulillah, yeah, I graduated with my bachelor's on time. I ended up getting into my school of choice for my master's in uh, social work. And um, I started my field placement at Ignor Relief. Um, event, uh, at a certain point, I realized, though, that in the nonprofit sector, um, and this is where my shift in work career happened, I, I wanted to be a private practitioner and serve the community on an individual basis. Never wanted to be a public speaker, never, never wanted to be a leader of a community or ever be recognized as one. You know, like, again, right, anxiety is there. I'm like, nah, I'm not, like, who am I? I'm not, like, I, <laughs> you know, like, my, my insecurity is kicking in. I'm not charismatic. I'm not the best looking. I'm not loud. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a geek that likes to watch anime and stay indoors, right? Like, I didn't really think about, you know, like, I just wasn't built to be those, right? When you think of those things, you think of certain characteristics. I did, I never saw myself having those. Um, but, but, but the reality is that everybody's like that. Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. that's, it's, it's really humanizing yeah. when, when somebody states that because yeah. otherwise it's always sort of in the background exactly and everyone's sort of forcing themselves to be this, this yeah. person that yeah. they're not. And, 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 yeah. and ultimately I think yeah. human beings are built in a way where you detect that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think you mentioned earlier that, Hey, people would just come to you and tell you their stories. Yeah. And I think that, um, when you're genuine, yeah, people open up to you. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I realized too is that I was very open about my story at a certain point. Like you know, I, I there, it required a lot of healing, a lot of working on myself, and just understanding what were my triggers. But then eventually, I became very comfortable to a point where I can openly admit that you know, I've dealt with things in my past in my childhood. Um, you know, that's a huge mark of maturity, right? To have that at a younger age, it's pretty rare. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. And um, it became important to me too at a certain point because I realized, you know, like when I realized that the mass mass majority of people who talked spoke to me telling me that they had no idea, I just realized it was just easier to just be open about it. So people around me, if there is someone, it kind of just becomes like more of a homing radar where they're like, okay, you know, I know this person has went through something similar to me. Let me privately talk to them. They're probably not going to judge me, right? Um, and um, Alhamdulillah, uh, going back to 
the story. I don't know how much time I spent by bed, by the way. No, no, you're good. You're good. Let's cool. keep going. Let's keep going. So I, um, I ended up going to my school of choice, and I was practicing to be a, I was getting trained to be a mental health clinician, which was my passion at the time, and still is, um, to just directly serve people. I never wanted to work in the macro space, just wanted to work in the micro, more one-on-one. I really thrived there. Um, uh, and um, I don't know what happened, but I started noticing that, uh, at least in Ignorant Relief, we didn't have a depart, we didn't have a national department for most uh, for counseling, right? And this is I, why you were an intern there. Yeah, so I, I I I gave my recommendations to my my director of my local office, and without me even realizing it, she shared my recommendations to the CEO of Ignorant Relief, Brother Muxud, who's an amazing and genuine brother. I would always, uh, anyone who wants to know, just get to know this guy. He's, he's one of the few gems that are in the United States that are really practice like the old school style of like you know serving the community mm-hmm. properly. Um, so this guy, he um, he gives me a call directly, and I see his name and I freak out. I'm like Did you I knew who he was. I knew who he was. I, I we all knew who he was. He was the CEO <laughs> of a national organization, right? Um, uh, and he calls me. He's like, "Hey, are you Daniel?" He's like, "I'm like, yeah." He's like, "Um." I heard you have some ideas about, um, you know, your department. I would like to hear about them. I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, I'm coming to New Jersey, actually, for a, an event. Um, would you like to meet after? I was like, sure. So I go. You know, I was volunteering at the event anyways. So afterwards, I sat down with them. We had a long conversation. And that was it. You know, he went home. Um, nothing happened for a month. And then I get a call from another person. And they're like, hey, Brother Maksud told me to give you a spot in our annual all-staff training. Um, where he would like for you to present your ideas to the entire team, and I was like, "What? Like only <laughs> don't only the regional people do that? You know, like I'm not even forget about regional. I'm not even the local director. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you want me to do it?" And um, my my boss um, at at the time, Sister Farhana, she knew that I had a self esteem issue, so she like shut up and do it. You know, like <laughs> she's like, "You're doing it. I'm making you do it." I was like, "Okay." So I created this presentation of like. Um, what are things that the organization can really work on? Um, more on a management style thing. And I had no experience in management. I presented to the team. I think I was about, how old was I? I think I was uh, um, maybe turning 20 or 19. And um, I ended up getting a part-time job after that. And um, I was required to work on the things I presented on a local level. Um, ended up switching to full-time eventually. Around this time, a huge shift in my career. My second year of my training, I decided to switch over from micro to macro because I realized we don't have a lot of trained professionals in the Muslim nonprofit sector. And this is me after scouting other other institutions, really stalking the leadership, looking at their 990s, looking at their plans, looking at their the messages that they're pitching to the community. So this is your like your hard work that you did in yeah. those three or four years yeah. it's paying dividends here because you invested that same time yeah. in doing your research and your homework. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It scare you off. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was just yeah. curious. I wanted to know, you know, who are the champions, right? Like, who are the best? Because I wanted to compete with the best. So, for example, when I was looking into therapy, um, I knew that social work, before I even got to social work, I knew Altaf Hussain, I don't know if you know him, he's a pe- speaker. Dr. Altaf Hussain. Dr. Altaf Hussain, yeah. Absolutely. Um, he did a training for Ikhner Leaf and I spoke to him after, and I knew he was the best. And for me, the definition of the best at the time was, he's the he's the Muslim social worker. He's the Muslim American social worker. Like, right. he made it popular, right? Um, he's one of the few. 
And I went up to him. I was like, I want to be you someday. Like, you know, like I want to, you know, do the things that you're doing. He's like, you will. And, you know, he's like, he gave me his contact information. He's like, let's follow each other on social media. He's like, I'm going to look forward. I'm going to watch your journey. And he did, he comments on my page, my stuff from time to time. Whenever I see him, I try to give him updates. Um, and Alhamdulillah, like, you know, like he, he ended up becoming one of many people who I look up to. And, you know, at the, for me, looking up to is not only like, hey, I want to, you know, become like you. For me, it's like, I want to defeat you. I want to be better than you, right? Like, sure. like in a healthy like, competition. In a healthy competition, you know, way, right? Yeah, and mashallah, moving the needle forward. Yeah, like, I don't want, I want to bring fire under their feet, and they bring fire under mine, right? Yeah. So the sense that, like, let, let's keep going. So that's one of the, that he was one of those folks, and I really, um, uh, he, he is actually one of the main reasons I decided to go into social work. Him and um, uh, brother, uh, brother Eunice, I, for, I forget his first name, um, uh, you saw the Eunice's brother. I keep forgetting his name. Uh, it'll get it's to all me. Good. It'll get yeah, to me no later. Worries. So he he was actually another one too, and they're the ones who like really, um, really inspired me to get into this work. But I I wanted to go into micro, and then eventually I went to macro. Um, and my my task for my program was to really create um, an organizational strategy, right? Like a strategic plan for a service of your organization. I took it a step further and I did it. I, I made it into a department mm. for ignorant relief. I tailored it to ignorant relief. I proposed it to my boss and alhamdulillah, I ended up getting hired as a national director for Muslim family services. Um, um, to lead basically this proposal. Yeah. To lead this proposal. Right. And, um, you know, um, I served in that. Was that role. a surprise for you? Um, or did you, did you sort of know that like, Hey, if you delivered on this, chances are good that they're going to do this. So at this point of my life, I realized that the talent pool was very small. Yeah. Like I, you know, I realized that the one people who are even interested in working in nonprofits are few. And then the ones who actually make the jump are fewer. And then the ones who are qualified to do it are fewer. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was, um, I knew I was a catch when it came to this kind of work, at least when it came to my experience and stuff. However, one of the biggest things that was going against me was my age. It actually has always been like my challenge is my age. Um, and with Ignore Relief, I knew that was going to be a hurdle, and it was. Um, uh, even though I was a national director, I wasn't really, you know, I, I dealt with challenges because I started off there at a young age. So, you know, people c continue to give me a hard time due to the fact that, you know, I was younger and they didn't really look at my, they didn't really look at my expertise. They didn't look at what I've accomplished. They just looked at, what was presented to them, the story, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I always say, if that, was, if that was one thing that really bothered me throughout my life, that was one of them, which is don't judge me based off of, you know, what you what your, like, you know, what your perception is. Yeah. So what if I'm, at the time I was 20, uh, 22, um, so what if I'm 22, right? So what if I come from a broken family? So what if I'm poor, right? Don't judge me based off of that. Judge me based off of what I've accomplished, my hard work, right? What's on my resume, right? Um, and alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, my, my CEO, Brother Maksud, gave me a shot. And I, I hope I didn't let him down. Alhamdulillah, we, we were able to establish the department and create a roadmap for success. Uh, alhamdulillah, we saw a lot of change. And, you know, a lot, I got a lot, of, I'm not gonna lie, I got a lot of hate from a lot of folks, you know, outside and inside the organization uh, for who I am, unfortunately. Um, being a young professional, speaking a certain way, believing in certain things, right? Nothing that was un-Islamic, but just being more young and, I guess... Look, change is hard, yeah, yeah. right? And I think everybody, like, 
in order to change, you, you need to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And uncomfortable makes people, um, uh, can make people upset. Yeah. Right? That's sort of our first psychological response mm-hmm. to like unknown mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that as a, as a community, you know, we, we struggle with that a little yeah. bit, right? There's a lot of like resistance to change because yeah. of, because of fear. Yeah. Um, and anybody that sort of to come in, there's all these like Islamic constructs that yeah. you know, we can refer to exactly, as well. Yeah. That's like, oh, well, this is, this is innovation. We yeah. don't want to touch innovation mm-hmm. in religion, right? That's, yeah. that's bad. Yeah. So let's not innovate in every, anything, yeah. right? Which is not, which is not the way exactly. about religion at all. Exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, what would you say, like, I, this is an incredible s- story and, and thank you for like sharing, oh, you know, in, in that level of detail. I hope, uh, I, I know that it's going to be really impactful to, to folks, um, listening. Um, what would you tell somebody that's listening that's saying like, oh, well, that's, that's not me. You know, I want to get involved. Is that the only way to get involved in nonprofit work? Absolutely. Right. Like, like maybe share something that you would say, like if someone is thinking about, you know, you said very small pool of people, even that are that are interested even smaller with the right qualifications even smaller with the right qualifications and experience um but we have a massive gap in the community right so what would you tell somebody that maybe is contemplating it or has contemplated it and and is struggling you know to to kind of close that gap yeah um what what are your words of of sort of advice for someone like that so the message i would give to adults versus the message i would give to someone my age is a lot different To adults or people who are already in the institutions, I would tell them we need to create a more, um, I believe that environments really affect a person. So we need to create an environment that is going to really 10x the work of the team. Um, So I, I hold our leadership to a higher standard in the sense that we really need to create better spaces that you know, really switch the mindset of sacrificing your livelihood, sacrificing mm. um, um, the access of wealth, right, um, to a more investment mindset, right, that we invest in these folks and we will get a return. Um, but for younger people, I would tell them just don't quit. Mm. Like that's one, if there's one theme out of my experience in life is that I never, I never quitted. You know, maybe because Alice Montala wouldn't let me right? <laughs> and it wasn't always your choice. It huh? wasn't my choice, right? I wanted to quit many days, right? Long, long, long dark nights where, you know, tears and sweat and even some cases blood, right? To get to where I needed to go. Um, but, you know, like I never quit. And I know folks who have not lived a life like mine who are killing it in the nonprofit world because they didn't quit Mm -hmm. you don't need to be you know i don't see myself as anyone extraordinary but you know if you think that it requires an extraordinary person to do something like this no it doesn't it requires you requires you it doesn't require one type of person it requires you to put the work that you want to see what you want to see in the world right if you want to see in the nonprofit sector in your community in your institutions you need to be the one that's going to champion that right and what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to create an arena where our champions can, you know, you know, take up their swords and take up their shields and be like, I'm ready, I'm here, right? I'm ready for a challenge. Um, but, you know, um, at the same time, you can't just be like, oh, you know, I've been hit to the ground and, you know, 
that's it, right? Like I was listening to this motivational talk a few, actually a month, uh, a little while ago. And one of the things that the, the motivational speaker says is like, um, you know, it's not your fault if life hits you down on the ground, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't do anything about that. It just happens to some people. But if I see on the ground one day from now, one week from now, one month from now, one year from now, that is all absolutely your fault because it is your responsibility to get up. It is only your responsibility to get up. It is a privilege if someone raises their hand out, you know, reaches their hand out and picks you up, right? So one of the things that I'm trying to do as someone who leads an organization is I'm trying to reach my hand out. And that is a privilege. Not everyone gets that privilege. But at the same time, I need folks that are willing. You know, I think these institutions really need folks that are willing to get up. If plan A doesn't work out, so what? Right? I My first choice of working at a nonprofit of, was an organization called Penny Appeal. And, you know, it didn't work out. And it's okay, right? Like, you know, you try plan B, you try plan C, you try plan D. I applied to, you know, 12 different executive director positions before I made it to IAR. And actually, I'm very glad that I made it here because there are things that I didn't really think about that I'm seeing here and Hamlet's impacting my family on a in a better way that I probably wouldn't have experienced somewhere else. But you won't know unless you try, right? You just need to do it and not quit. Um, and that is my advice to people my age is just, you know, um, all the doubts that you hear from people, all the doubts that you, you know, like you see, right? Because we all have this perception that, oh, this, this space is led by older folks, right? The massages are led by older folks. There's this led by this. There's led by that. No, 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 no. They're led by, you know, they're going to, if that is the case, it's going to continue to be the case because people like us are not pushing our way in, right? And um, that's where consistency comes in. That's where being creative comes in. And you know what? That's what young people are built with. We have that. We're built with that, right? That's what makes us special, right? Movements come from people our age for a reason. So, you know, while you have that strength, while you have that energy, while you have that vision, keyword here, vision, right? What is vision? To simplify it complete uh, in basic terms is what you want to see happen around you. That is your vision. You need to create the roadmap to make, the ma- make that happen. No one else but you can do it, right? And um, I, I believe that we have it a lot easier because alhamdulillah, we're at a time now with social media and everything else where things are as transparent as they can be. And, you know, we have, we're starting to see professionals rising up to the you know rising up to the plate they're stepping up to the plate and they're really rising up to the challenge and you know taking on these leadership roles and taking the brunt of the work right um and we're really trying to strive to go towards a place where you can have a fulfilling career and fulfilling not only in the terms of like you're giving back to the community you know you're doing you're doing god's work to a certain extent but more so you can have a healthy financial career with benefits and stuff right yeah. yeah sure we're not there completely with a lot of places but we're getting there but the you know the the push needs to keep happening right and the current people who are pushing need the support so um that's the advice i would give is just you know don't quit and you know just keep pushing no thanks for that danielle i think um you know this this message of like i almost call it like normalizing islamic work right yeah. today a lot of people shy away from uh, i think i had a post on instagram that i made a while back kind of uh asking for people like hey would you work at the masjid mm-hmm. yes or no mm-hmm. and and if not why if yes mm-hmm. why right and it's, it's crazy i got like a bunch of responses from people that have worked you know, mm-hmm. some people that have like written national leading blogs mm-hmm. on like you know um, how to improve uh masajid mm-hmm. other people that worked as full-time employees yeah. at islamic schools or mosques yeah. and everyone was like i would never do it again yeah. 
right? Mm-hmm. And and they listed this long line of reasons. You know, some of them were financial compensation, some of yeah. them were culture, you know, and and that's a perception issue, yeah. right? Um, there there it's a perception issue and it's a real issue in terms of compensation. And, yeah. And what I what I'm really excited about, quite frankly, is I'm seeing folks like you. Mm-hmm you know, and others getting involved and saying, that's not good enough, right? We need to move forward. You you can't just bring people in, squeeze them until they're dry, and then throw them out. We have to create a system that allows uh, not just, uh, you know, someone to move through the motions, but to actually flourish and to nurture and to grow, uh, because that's where the strength of the organization comes from. So, um, you know, I, I really appreciate it. I feel like we could talk for hours yeah. and there's a lot, a lot more to discuss. Yeah. But um, I, I think I do want to give uh, you a chance to uh, to basically talk a little bit about how you'd like to get folks to get involved. You just basically put a call to action saying, hey, uh, you know, get involved, right? get yeah. engaged. Yeah. Um, and I think you have you want folks to email you yeah. if you have ideas, if this is exciting to you, if this is passionate, if this is a, a yeah. dream of yours as well. You know, now is the time to kind of get involved and get engaged. Ask questions, yeah. right? If if there isn't something that makes sense, if you feel like you know the mosque is stuck in a backwards place, um, you know, change is happening. Yeah. Um, uh, but if you want to get to know if you have specific questions, maybe they can reach out to you, right? Yeah. Um, my my email is my work email is CEO at islamone.org. Um, I want to create an institute. This is my first time working for a masjid. But um, I feel like IAR, in particular the Raleigh Triangle area, has a good recipe for a nice meal that we can all enjoy together. <laughs> and uh, we have everything. We have, the, we have the institutions here. We have the universities, the young professionals. But someone needs to you know, bring it all together. And I want, um, being a little selfish here because I do work at IAR, but it can be any institution. But since I represent IAR, I'll talk about IAR. I want IR to be that arena that I was talking about, and I need my champions to step forward. Um, I will do my best to clear out the route for you to be successful in this institution. I want it to represent us. I want us to be proud of it. I want it to represent our ideals, and the only way we can make it happen is if we demand more from it. Um, And we demand more from it because we believe that we can do better, and I genuinely have that belief, and I'm, you know, I have my sleeves rolled up, and I expect um, my fellow young colleagues and professionals to do the same and you know if there's any any way I can help any way I can support you know you can always reach out to me at CEO at Islam1.org and um, yeah that's pretty much it um, I'm active on all social media platforms I don't talk about work but I randomly talk about mental health issues so if you're into that stuff you can find me at Danielism that's my handle awesome. yeah, that's pretty much it awesome well thank you so much for sharing your story with us today Danielle um, you know, it's it's always it's always great to hear, uh, you know, someone that's overcome adversity and and you know been able to achieve uh, you know certain accomplishments, um, you know, as as they progress through. So thank you again for sharing that. And uh, I think I think we have a lot more to discuss. So I, I think uh, perhaps we, we have another episode or two perhaps, yeah. uh, <laughs> down the road uh, where we'll bring you back. Thanks everyone for listening in. Um, uh, it is Ramadan, and uh, you know, please make sure you contribute to your local masjid, your support your local masjid. Uh, a lot of masjids have opened up now, um, you know, whereas they have been closed for a long time. So make sure that you know whether it Raleigh masjid is your home masjid or your 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 masjid somewhere else. Please make sure you contribute, uh, and I hope everyone has um, a, a blessed last ten nights. 
uh, and a, a uh, Eid, a happy Eid uh, at the end of that. So thanks again. Assalamu alaikum.